Hello and welcome to the Land and Climate podcast. My name is Bertie Harrison Reninsky, and today I'm talking with two investigative journalists, Eli Moskowitz from the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, and Mira Says from Follow the Money, about illegal biofuels in the EU. You might be used to associating the decarbonisation of transport with electric vehicles, but more than 60% of the EU's renewable energy and transport comes from petrol and diesel being mixed with plant-based biofuels, which, at their most sustainable, are sourced from literal used cooking oil. Or so we are told. Eli and Mira are part of a team that uncovered a large-scale fraud operation where a Bosnian company called System Ecologica had saved tens of millions of euros by importing cheap, unsustainable vegetable oil from the US, jacking up its price, avoiding paying tariffs, and then reselling it as certified sustainable used cooking oil. It's not the first time something like this has happened, and Eli and Mira want this story to serve as a case study for the ongoing risks, or even failings, of one of the EU's major green initiatives. They assume that a huge majority of the industry could be fraudulent. It's strongly likely that that made its way into uh, the engines of planes, automobiles as well, probably. It's really destructive when you're basically mislabeling the sustainable product that in theory could cut emissions, but in practice is, you know, arguably one of the most horrendous things you could do from a greenhouse gas emissions standpoint. Before we start, a quick apology about a few dips in sound quality in this interview. There were some periods of background noise that we couldn't clean up, but we hope it doesn't spoil it for you. I began by asking Mira to explain what we mean by the word biofuel, and how and why biofuels are so important to the EU. Biofuels are fuels that instead of petroleum are made of plant-based sources, so for example soy oil or palm oil, but also sometimes from waste, from different kinds of waste. The one that is particularly interesting in this case is the used cooking oils. So it's like for McDonald's, for example, when they fry something, they have some oil left and that's the used cooking oils. And those oils are very difficult to reuse so that's why the European Union in particular is interested in these kind of oils. A big thing now is that there is a blending uh, obligation. And that means that with a normal diesel or normal fuels, companies like Shell, BP, Total, they have to blend a certain percentage of biofuels or renewable fuels in them. Um, so that's why the biofuels are particularly interesting for these companies as well. And it's a big market now. And the EU actually wants to expand those demands. So they want to ask for more and more and more uh, blending. So at a certain point, it should be, I think, in 2030, it should be something like 30%, 33% of all fuels have to be renewable. The EU is actually planning on phasing out soy and palm oil from the blending obligation from 2030. And many countries already count UCO, that's used cooking oil, for twice as much towards the blending obligation as soy or palm. Eli, do you think you could explain for us why these types of biofuel are valued so differently and what that difference means in terms of emissions as well? So used cooking oil, when it's sourced in a sustainable way, you know, there's nothing else that this oil can be used for. So when it's refined, in theory, you know, the carbon footprint of that is significantly lower than other uh, biofuels made from, say, soy or palm, in large part because, uh, you know, it's going to be disposed of anyways. 
And so the, you know, things like land use emissions that most, most uh, scientists would tell you are horrible. One expert uh, went as so far as to say that palm and soy biofuels actually have worse emissions than other like oil and gas products. When you produce X tons of palm oil, you need X acres of land. You know, and so oftentimes where the soy and palm is being cultivated, it's in Indonesia, like in the case of palm or in Malaysia. So what's implied there is oftentimes if it's not, you know, sustainably sourced palm oil, which since it's totally opaque where this product is coming and it's likely that these fraudsters would be using like the cheapest possible uh, product, there's a very decent chance that it's coming from places where there's rampant deforestation and displacement of indigenous communities, etc. There's kind of a domino effect of problems that occur when you're passing off ostensibly sustainable product as something that's basically the polar opposite. Okay, so Mira, could you tell us a bit about the system ecologica story then and and what we mean by biofuel fraud? With system ecologica, it was a very in a sense, very clear uh, fraud because um, they were importing what is probably, we are still not sure, but probably uh, soy-based oil. Uh, we're importing it from the US. And that's something that uh, Belgian customs, uh, we've talked to them and they said it's nearly every time there is fraudulent case, there is been talked about import from the US from soy-based oil because that's the cheapest one. So the cheap oil gets imported into uh, Bosnia and a Bosnian company, System Ecologica, they say that they in Bosnia they produce the biofuels from used cooking oil. So they say that they import used cooking oils from the US. They make biofuels from it and they export it again to other countries. But it was very clear when Olaf, the uh, European investigator, went to visit the factory after some uh, signs from different member states that there was something wrong there, that the quality of the oil was too good <laughs> to be used. And they visit the factory and they said, yeah, this just, they cannot make these biofuels. They cannot make the biofuels from used cooking oil. So they don't have the equipment, the electricity bills, it, it doesn't add up. So it's not possible. So it was very clear that the oil was being fraudulently exported and as used biodiesel from used cooking oils. But yeah, the problem was that different member states received oil. And when it starts somewhere in the system, when it's wrongful, then of course it goes down the drain and then everybody uses it. So it's very difficult to be there on time before it gets sold again. But yeah, for this, we, we know for sure at least a few places where it ended up and it was especially the Netherlands. This was a big, complicated story, and there are lots of individuals and companies involved, in addition to System Ecologica. Eli, do you think you could walk us through some of the stakeholders, some of the parties? This Bosnian company supplied uh, biofuel to two other Dutch companies. One is called uh, Biofuels Campen, and that was probably the biggest case of, of used cooking oil fraud to date. Industry insiders told us that it sort of cast doubt on the entire, on the entire sector, basically, because it was one of the biggest biofuel or used cooking oil companies in the Netherlands. The owner who was convicted around two years in prison. At one point, he was reported to be one of the richest people in the Netherlands. I think one of the 500 richest people in the Netherlands. And so it was interesting to see that this, this Bosnian company, System Ecologica, which is run by these two Bosnian Americans, were supplying Campen some of this fake 
biofuels. And then a year later, one of the other largest biofuel companies in the Netherlands um, or used cooking oil companies in the Netherlands, Sun Oil, which continues to operate to this day. So it's being it's currently being investigated for fraud now. The, the investigation is still still ongoing. But it's interesting that they also purchased biofuel from this this Bosnian company. So there, there's another company that has since been absolved of their role in the Tampin case. So the, the first case I mentioned, uh, which is called Greenergy. And Greenergy is a, a pretty large multinational in the UK. It's partnered with Shell on some major refinery in the UK. They've since been informed by investigators in the UK, like the Serious Fraud Office, that they're no longer the subject of investigation. But we see that they actually also had purchased biofuels from System Ecologic as well, the Bosnian company. On top of that, the individual that was working for Greenergy at the time, Gianni Rivera, has gone off to start his own biofuels company that is still active. He just signed this partnership to construct a significant refinery uh, with two other companies in the UAE. So his company, Biagra, also purchased this fraudulent biodiesel from System Ecologica. And did you get the sense that the US exporters also knew that there was something going on with their export supply chain? So the US exporters, in the case of System Ecologica, those two companies, they were called uh, Better Energy Solutions Today, or BEST, and Waste Oil Trade, uh, or Waste Oil Trading. And those two companies were owned by the same Bosnian-Americans that owned System Ecologica. They were selling the soy-based biofuel to this uh, refinery in Republika Srpska, which is in, in Bosnia. Uh, it's kind of like an autonomous state in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And uh, from there, they were simply taking the soy-based biodiesel, claiming they were refining it and that it was coming from used cooking oil, which it wasn't. So I think that, yeah, it's quite clear that they were aware of the fraud that they were, that they were engaged in, yes. So there are now a lot of criminal charges and investigations floating around in various countries related to this case. If we just kind of zero in on the illegality of some of this, at what points along the process are the potential crimes committed? So basically how the the scheme worked, their Bosnian company imported soy-based biodiesel from their US companies to Bosnia And then upon exporting it into the European Union, they marked it through other certificates as used cooking oil, sustainably sourced used cooking oil to sort of fall under the like the EU statutory blending requirements for oil, which gives a lot of added value to these types of biofuels. You need to be certified by the ISCC. So you need a certain bio ticket saying that you're Biofuel was made with sustainably sourced UCO, and that's where you get an auditor from a third-party certifier to assess your product and, and state that it's the, the product that you say it is is in fact what it is. What we found is that you know the certifying process is, is highly vulnerable to fraud. So then there's the anti-dumping duties that apply to all of this stuff. The EU has certain tariffs in place. You could call them tariffs or anti-dumping duties in place to protect their own biofuel sector. So soy-based biodiesel coming from, say, the United States would kind of saturate the EU's market and they would want to protect like domestically sourced 
biofuels. So as a result, they impose certain tariffs so that when you, if you were to import soy-based biodiesel from, say, the U.S., you're subject to certain tariffs uh, that you would not be subject to if you were bringing in sustainably sourced yuco. So in the case of System Ecologica, when they were defrauding the EU, you know, and saying that their product was something that it wasn't, they were also defrauding it of all of these tariffs that they would usually be charged if they were to simply have been exporting the product that they were in fact exporting. And what Belgian customs told us, uh, you know, basically is that the companies that they sold to, despite being aware or not being aware of the fact that this product was fraudulent, they're still subject to pay those tariffs as well. So in the eyes of customs, they're liable as well, which is interesting because presumably all of these, all of this biofuels is ultimately being sold to larger companies and Shell actually sued Biodiesel Campen after Campen was found to have been selling fraudulent biofuel. They need a certain number of, of renewable energy certificates and those were, were void in the process. So they uh, were liable to pay millions of dollars uh, as a result and they, they sued Campen as a result. So you can see sort of how these larger companies that might purchase from these smaller traders instead of being found liable, will actually cast themselves as victims of a crime. And they always sort of have plausible deniability. I was interested to hear you say a minute ago, Eli, that the certification process is very vulnerable to fraud. Perhaps you could tell us a bit more about that, Mira. In Europe, the main certifier is the ISCC, the International Sustainability Carbon Certification. I think that's who you were mainly looking at as well. Why are they a weak point in this process, in this supply chain? I heard from all the investigators and everyone uh, who is anywhere related to this topic that we only see the tip of the iceberg now because it's quite easy to get a certificate. That's also what I think one of our main findings is that nearly all the companies who were fraudulent or who were um, suspected of fraud all got a stamp of approval from a certifying body, which meant that they could just operate and every year they got checked by this private party and they could choose the private party who would check them. You can pay your own auditor. So if you don't like one, you get another one, you know, the certifier select the auditing companies and there you also have different ones. So if a company really has been um, suspected of something fraudulent and an auditor doesn't approve of their certificate, they can just go to another certifier. So another like main one, and then you have different auditors underneath. I have a report from the Dutch Emissions Authority, and they they said that the ISCC told them that it would just mean a race to the bottom if they would say that there's a minimum amount of time to um, take for each audit. But it, it raises the question, is it not already a race to the bottom? Because there is no minimum. So now they can even say, I don't know, one hour, for example. I don't know, probably they don't do that, but... I had an example of one company who wanted to get audited and the one auditor said, yeah, we have to take days and we have to come there and we have to check everything on the location. And then the other auditor said, no, no, we can just uh, get your papers and everything will be fine. So that's very strange if it's two auditors who will do the same thing. (laughs) 
and have such a different outcome. And of course, as a company, you will think, oh, I will take the cheapest one. And the cheapest one is the one with just the papers and no location. And, and that's fine. All these companies, even like the System Ecologica, who wasn't even able to uh, produce the right biofuels, they got a stamp of approval from the certifier. So it doesn't really make any sense because they should have seen it, I think. And usually also, for example, with the System Ecologica case, it was actually because there were um, red flags from some of the member states that said like, oh, this quality of this oil is really, really good. And if you have used cooking oil, usually you have something mixed in, you know, you have some dirt or I don't know. Um, so it was too clean to be that. Am I right in remembering from your reporting that the ISCC do actually make risk assessments of biofuel suppliers as part of the certification process? And they did not even spot any unusual risks with System Ecologica. Nearly all of these companies who got their certificate withdrawn, they got the regular risk stamp. They have a list from companies who have a certificate, but they also have a list from companies who have their certificate withdrawn. Also who were from companies who were excluded from the system. So um, the withdrawn list can be more temporarily is what we found. We don't really know, still know exactly the difference between the two, but the excluded is definitely the one where people have done something really wrong. And usually it's for five years or plus that they are excluded from the system. So they cannot uh, get a certificate anymore there. But the excluded members, usually we see all of the ones we recognize were all fraudulent. So that's, and also some insiders say that if you are excluded, you really have to have done something really wrong. And all of these companies, nearly all of them, got the regular risk stamp. And you have regular, medium and high. So regular is like the least likely that something happens. And it were, I think, 50 companies. And top of my head, I think four got the medium or high risk. So that's, yeah, then there's <laughs> something that maybe has to be checked in the system if, if that are the, the risk stamps. But we actually wanted to also ask ISCC, maybe there's a perfectly clear explanation for this, but they um, did not really want to say something. <laughs> I think also what now what we see is that ISCC, for example, is very dependent on auditors and vice versa. So they really have their, really have each other's backs in that sense, I think, very often. They rely on each other and maybe there should also be something a bit different so that they don't get like auditors get money from companies who get certified. So they have a, an incentive to not be too strict. Then the ISCC gets money also when more companies got cert get certified. So they also need the auditors. So it's not really a good system to have very critical <laughs> thoughts. I'd presume that at the moment there's a high risk that in 2030, when the blending obligation uh, excludes palm and soy and focuses more on sustainable forms of biofuel like UCO used cooking oil, the amount of fraud could just increase. I know there are plans to reform the system a bit. Could you tell us a bit about that? Uh, it's possible. Uh, yes, there is a big fear of that happening. But with this system, they want to sort of make a blockchain um, system to put numbers and papers on every amount of oil that's getting exported from somewhere. And they will start at the assembling point. So you usually in countries, you have like large companies who assemble, for example, all the used cooking oils. 
So they go to, they drive to all the McDonald's and all the different restaurants in the area and they assemble it at one location. And that one location will be the starting point for the chain. But one of the problems we heard is that usually the fraud can already happen before that point. It can happen, for example, at the McDonald's, because if they know that they get more money for a certain type of oil, yeah, they, they might blend in a, a few different things <laughs> and then they just sell it as the whole thing as, as used cooking oil. So, and actually that's also the responsibility of an auditor to check if every of these companies give the right oil to the assembler. That's one of the, of the risks with this and the fact that it's voluntarily and we, we've seen it in April was very empty. Um, the database, uh, we don't know what the status is right now. But yeah, from the people I spoke who has who have to work with this database, they were not super hopeful <laughs> that it would really change anything. This isn't the first case of large-scale biofuel fraud in the EU. And there are some scary quotes in your articles about the potential failure of the whole industry and just how many investigations are already going on and the worries that investigators and regulators have about the levels of fraud that might exist. Do you have a sense of the true scale of this problem? And how feasible is it that the EU will be able to source enough used cooking oil to meet its targets in the coming years? Just to give you an idea, when biofuels campaign was caught by Dutch authorities and then sun oil was subsequently caught, the authorities there, they assumed that a huge majority of the industry could be fraudulent, at least uh, when speaking about the Netherlands. But it, there's no reason to believe that the Netherlands is any different from a vast array of other member states in, in the European Union. And, and they gave numbers like, you know, a third of the the used cooking oil-based biofuel was fraudulent. That's, that's their numbers. I don't know how they made those calculations, but that's obviously a pretty significant amount of fraud. And if it's a third, it's strongly likely that that made its way into... Uh, the engines of planes, automobiles as well, probably. And apparently there are some other cases that have started to present themselves in, in other peripheral countries like Morocco. Potentially the UAE is another place just because there are a lot of free ports where this type of fraud could be perpetuated as well. Although I don't have concrete examples of that. And then we've heard from industry insiders that that there's a lot of blending that's happening at the ports in China, it's probably palm-based biofuel coming from places like Indonesia and Malaysia. Then they're blended at ports in China and then sent to the EU from there directly from there. The problem is that the demand is way higher than the collection capacity within the European Union. So that's the issue at hand. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why they still are so pressing on these because they want more and more and more. And I'm like, there's a limitation on what is available. And we also want to use it now at sea. We want to use it in the air. It's not possible. So you already see some kind of competition already also starting with people who are making fuels for cars and fuels for airplanes. And so, yeah, there's just not enough used cooking oils <laughs> for the whole world to <laughs> drive on. But then there is definitely worries, and I see that in the sector as well, because with the new uh, regulation in the European Union about biofuels in uh, aviation industry, in um, the, the marine industry, you see that even the companies say that, like, yeah, but at a certain point we have to choose, and 
it's also something it's just waste you know you can even think like okay at a certain point it's we we don't have it anymore or we have to all fry like every single meal we have yeah that's a funny aspect of this story isn't it that a product is becoming more in demand and more valuable once it's been classed as waste it seems quite counterintuitive really it's very very counterintuitive definitely and that in a sense i mean i understand the reasoning behind it i think everybody understands it but as long and even the industry says it now but it's especially like the european industry uh, because they are afraid of competition from china i think as well and malaysia and indonesia but they are saying they are even saying like okay let's stop importing so much of these uh, waste based fuels when we are not even sure what they are of course, they have, a, <laughs> they have an interest in saying this, but they're not the only ones. My thanks to Eli and Mira for coming on the show. Please do read their original reporting, which is linked below. And if you enjoyed this episode, do follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And leave a review if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. As always, we have many other articles and podcasts, including loads about bioenergy and biofuels, on our site at landclimate.org. Plenty to keep you busy until we're back with another episode in a fortnight. Until then, goodbye, and thanks for listening. Thank you.